What's going on, everyone? It's your boy Jamari back with another podcast session all about the data. We have another special guest in the building, and we have our co-host Lucky with us today. Uh, so we'll go ahead and introduce our special guest, and we'll hop right into the show. All right. Hi, everyone. Today we have Shashank Kalanathi with us. He's a senior data analyst working currently at Nordstrom in Seattle. He loves having people break into the world of analytics through the tutorials on his YouTube channel, which is also uh, called um, his name, Shashank Kalanthi. And he specializes in coding walkthroughs. So if you're interested in that, and that will have the description uh, for that information at the end. Also, he's a big car nerd and he can geek out for hours about cars and geopolitics. How are you doing today, Shashank? I'm doing well. Thank you guys so much for having me on. What's up, you love yourself you know anything we might have missed anything no no i'd say that's fairly accurate um i think some other parts that people find quite interesting about my history is that uh i have a degree in chemistry um so i oh. was not at all educated in analytics uh, formally at least and uh basically entirely self-taught yeah oh that's uh, amazing it's funny you bring that up because that's actually my first question for you is how did uh <laughs> how did you go from chemistry to data like what 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 sparked that transition yeah, so um, I think probably the best way to describe it is, you know, I went to college, you know, idea was to become a doctor. Then, you know, after shadowing a couple of doctors, I realized it's not quite the lifestyle that I wanted. Um, I think that, uh, you know, the work that doctors do is very, very impressive, but it's very much an all-consuming lifestyle in the sense that, like, you know, you're, you're, you're always uh, having to keep up with medicine. You always have to be reading journals and doctors tend to hang out with other doctors and it kind of becomes this like really big kind of like, community of like just, you know, people thinking uh, very similarly, but providing a very important service to society at the same time. And so I was like, okay, well, what else could I end up doing? Um, was unemployed for about a year after I graduated from college. Cause I was like, in, you can't really get a job with a chemistry degree, to be honest, like as, as a bachelor's, you need to have like a PhD or something for anyone to care. Um, and I was like, well, I don't want to go pursue a PhD in a subject I don't really care much about. And mm -hmm. so I, I just got a random like internship at, um, uh, uh, my first company as an IT intern, uh, absolutely hated the work I was doing as an IT intern. So, uh, I happened to take this course through MIT X, which is like their like, you know, uh, uh, online courses that anyone can take a course in. And it was a supply chain course. And I was like, oh, the supply chain is pretty cool. So I go to the sixth floor of the building, which is where the supply chain people are. And I'm like, yo, do you guys have any work for me? And I go from like cubicle to cubicle, basically like asking people for like work. <laughs> um, and eventually one of the teams like, okay, dude, like you need, it's, it's obvious you want to do something. So, you know, here you go. They handed me like, they, they were the international shippers. So they basically handed me a bunch of like, um, business cards that they need to put into an Excel database. If anyone's worked in supply chain, you know that international shipping is like one of the most low tech industries out there. Mm -hmm. Everything is handled by fax. Everything is handled by uh, phone calls. Um, if you want to actually ship something from China, it's very, um, there's a pretty decent chance you're going to be talking to someone on the phone uh, just because mm -hmm. of how uh, little standardization there is in the industry. So, you know, went home that night, put it all into Excel and gave it to them the next day. And they're like, oh, we were thinking that you would take your internship doing this, right? And their director happened to see me. They're like, okay, this person has like, you know, they, they obviously want to work. Let's see if we can get them a job. She talked to another director who, who happened to be setting up an analytics team at the company. And, you know, that's how I fell into the, into the world of analytics. And I was lucky enough that my manager was 
26 or something at the time. He was like 26, 27. So he was pretty young and he kind of like understood also like what it's like to enter the, the world without like uh, specific skills in analytics. So we, uh, he kind of told me like what to learn, what to look out for, and then, you know, where to move from there. And uh, yeah, that's how I broke it. And after that, it's just been uh, about upscaling myself to where I can move higher and higher up the food chain uh, from an IC or individual contributor perspective. So that's interesting. So, so when he took you on for the internship, you didn't know SQL or anything. No, 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 no. I, I, I didn't. Uh, I, the, the joke me and my manager have is that my first join, um, for anyone not aware, a join is when you take two tables of data and like uh, combine them horizontally. Uh, my first join, I joined on the uh, MCO column, which is the business unit column. For anyone that uses JD Edwards, you'll know that's what, it, what that is. Um, and I didn't, uh, that's not the primary key of the table. So if you do that, you can take uh, a, a table with like 10,000, like two 10,000 row tables and make a billion row table out of it because you just duplicated the join so much. So uh, it, it's mm-hmm. a joke even today that my first join was a complete disaster and I created this massive <laughs> table and I came to my boss. I'm like, yo, I did the join you wanted me to do. And he's like, wait, what the hell is this? Um, so, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Do you think, um, do you think that the fact that you even had a degree in general helped you? to get that internship or did it not even matter? Unfortunately, I think it did. Um, I personally am not a big believer in bachelor's degrees in the sense that I don't believe that most people actually actively use them in any job they have. And this whole idea that corporate America has, right? And I believe it really is more of a critique of corporate America than it is about academic America, is uh, corporate America expects employees who, who will have high paid jobs, right? Because there's two classes of corporate employees. There are uh, a lot of people who do like admin work and they have quote unquote office jobs, but they're never going to be making more than 50K a year. Um, no shade thrown at them. Just that, you know, just because you work in an office doesn't mean you have like what I would call a good job. Um, and they, the corporate America kind of has this thing where for some reason, in order to go past those admin roles, they demand you have a degree, even though the degree is not at all useful for the work you'll be doing. Um, so mm-hmm. yes, I would say my degree did help me get in the door. Um, although I not in the way you would think it did. It helped me because it was it's it's an arbitrary necessity of modern corporate America to get non-admin roles. That being said, you could you can break it again. There you can totally break it. It's just significantly harder. That's all. Without all right. You're Sorry, significantly harder to break in without the degree. Yes. Yes. Uh, I would, I would be lying if I said, um, it wasn't. Um, and one piece of advice or one, one thing I, I like to be very transparent about my audience right? or like transparent to my audience. Right. And I like to tell them, I think it's important that everyone understands. Uh, I was raised in like an upper middle-class family and me and everyone I know has a college degree. Like it wasn't, are you getting a degree or not? It's what degree are you getting? Um, and so I, I want to make sure that that's clear to people that, you know, as much as I talk about, like, I kind of like broke into the industry and everything. A lot of it had to do with like certain expectations my parents, ha- like just naturally had of me. But again, yeah, no, of course you have to go get a high paying job. Like it, it, it's, it's not about, um, it's not about making six figures. It's about how many, how many six figures are you going to make? Um, is kind of the like society I was raised in. Uh, and, and that's not to brag. The point is I want people to be very uh, like clearly understand where I come from and how that's influenced where I am today, because not everyone comes from that kind of a background. I think if you ever get advice from anyone, always ask them about their background because that drastically changes the advice that they'll give and the, uh, how valid that is to your own life as well. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm actually 
I actually just recently started school. I'm getting a social science and data and uh, data analytics, basically. Um, they have a special name for it, but it's really just data analytics. Um, and uh, so with, 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 with what you just said, do you think that somebody like me would be good with just the associate of science? Like, should I not even worry about the bachelor's, just the associate of science and my self-study skills that I'm already incorporating and I should be good? I think with an associate's degree, you can start breaking into the industry, but I would heavily, heavily encourage you to get a bachelor's degree. Um, okay. Again, it's this arbitrary thing that people look for. Um, actually, I mean, I, I uh, have a resume right now. I was just updating my resume. And I, I had to, I put my, I, for the first time, put my education at the bottom of it, but I've been in the industry for a couple of years now, but basically until today, my education has been at the top of it. And um, I think an associate's degree, like with that, you can start like working in the industry, but I would highly, highly recommend doing like just whatever is necessary to get that bachelor's degree. Even if you just have to do the minimum, like number of classes to, you know, uh, up your associates into a bachelor's degree. But I think an associate's is a great start. Um but anecdotally, and this is why I talk about my history, right? Uh, or like uh, kind of like the social circle I hang around. Um, it's also difficult for me to give advice to people where like, like outside of go get a bachelor's degree, because it's all I know. And everyone that is surrounded, everyone that is surrounded around me, actually, I'm probably the, one of the less educated people of the people around me. Most people have like master's degrees at this point. Um, so I would highly, highly, highly recommend getting a bachelor's degree, but there's no reason you can't start working before that. Okay. And. And uh, yeah, so, sorry, it's a little off. Well, it's, it's on topic. Um, so, with that being said, because you have a bachelor's degree in chemistry, mm -hmm. so let's say, for example, I'm getting my associates right now in data, mm -hmm. uh, um, but I wanted to complete my bachelor's in marketing because I want to be in data analytics, but I want to specialize in marketing. Uh, do you think that would be credible, or should I continue with a data science degree? And uh, you're talking about at the bachelor's level or the associate's level still? Uh, bachelor's. Once I complete associate and I'm moving into now focusing on a uh, bachelor's, um, would you say continue data science because I know I want to do data science or would you say specialize in whatever acumen you want? Like I want to specialize in marketing. I personally believe that you should, you should get the marketing degree because a lot of the data science skills can be learned online quite easily. Um, Mark or uh, more than quite easily in, in a very straightforward manner. Um, mm -hmm. So, for example, I have like a Python tutorial, a SQL tutorial, Stats tutorial, an Excel tutorial, a Tableau tutorial, like all free on my channel, um, and that'll teach you everything you need to know to break into the industry. Um, as far as I can, from a knowledge perspective. Um, yeah. So, but but marketing is a little a little bit more difficult because uh, it's it's more squishy than uh, certain aspects of data science. And so that's kind of where I think uh, a college degree would actually be helpful and will help you break into that section. Because what you can even do is you can get that marketing degree, get some job in marketing, but constantly do data science work as a marketing professional and um, basically ask your boss, say, hey, like I've, you've seen my work. It is data science heavy. Let me have that title, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Facts, yeah. And it's funny you say that. That's actually what I was thinking too, yeah. because I already have, a background in marketing, like, you know, through doing my own stuff and uh, launching my own businesses and things like that. So um, interesting that you say that. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. So working at different companies within data analytics, such as Interstate Batteries, Nordstrom, et cetera, um, what were some similarities you found in uh, 
job role that you were in and like what were some of the differences? Uh, so like a somebody between the, the companies I've been at? Yeah. Um, I would say the single similarity is that um, there is the, the, especially for technical people, right? A lot of technical people, like we like conducting analyses. We like doing things. We like messing around with technology. And I think that that tendency is not a bad one to have, but at the end of the day, the people who get paid the most and the people who get promoted the most, typically, not always, but typically are the people who generate the most top line revenue for a company um, or can like angle their jobs at that, like towards that. So what, what, what I mean by that, and the reason I bring that up, right, is that when you are pursuing your, you know, like advancing your career and everything, make sure that you're able to tie the work that you do to how you're either improving the top line or the bottom line. Um, top line is, uh, the, the top line is sexier to most people, uh, but the bottom line is very important in my opinion as well. And to kind of explain the difference, uh, top line is basically all the revenue that the company, you know, gets uh, uh, in a given time. So with Apple, like the sale of every single iPhone, every app, that's all top line. Bottom line is after you remove all your costs, what do you eventually end up with? And um, mm. for example, if you work in supply chain, supply chain is usually not affecting the top line. Like you're not generating revenue through that, uh, but you can affect the bottom line by reducing costs and improving efficiencies. And so I would say one piece of advice I would give people and that, that is similar with basically all companies is that if you can prove that you are important to bottom line revenue or top line revenue, um, you will have a much easier time getting promoted and making your case for, for promotions. And I think as technical people, we tend to forget that a lot more than, for example, someone in finance does. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. That's it. And it is a good, that's a good point. And that's a good tip to have to kind of look out for things that you're doing in your current job to it, like you can tailor your resume for an upcoming position. Exactly. You can just keep track of that. You can highlight like in an upcoming interview. Well, and, and have like an actual number associated with it uh, as well. So like a great example, um, when I was uh, at Interstate Batteries, there was this one job I had where I had to automate a process that a manager was spending one week every single month doing, right? And I automated it oh, such yeah. that, you know, it took them a couple of hours to do after that. And by doing that, we estimated that the manager made about $120,000 a year. Um, looking back at it, that actually might've been a bit of a high estimate, but, you know, we just estimated mm -hmm. about $120,000 a year. And I, if I saved them one week every month, that's a quarter of the year, basically. So, mm -hmm. you know, that's $30,000 I've added to the bottom line, really more than that, because not only does he not have to do that, he can go do something else for the company now. Um, right. So I've saved that cost and a lot and freedom up to go do more useful stuff. Like no manager should be spending an entire week putting together, like the, the type of report he was putting together. Um, mm -hmm. And so I would say, um, yeah, I, I would, th that's an example of like how I proved out, Hey, the work I did is beneficial for the company in this way. Yeah, that's good. Well, that's very, that's very impressive as well. Good job to you. No, it, it, <laughs> thank you so much. It was, it was my boss who like, you know, told me that he said like, no, find, find some way to quantify this on a, in a dollar value, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, what's the business's job? It's to make money. So make sure right. that if, if your objectives are aligned with the business's objectives, you know, um, and I, I think as you become like, as you go higher up in the corporate hierarchy, then you can start thinking about the more uh, nuanced aspects of it. Like, uh, people like to say, right. Like, um, mm -hmm. whenever they see like a corporation do something greedy, like, uh, oh, it's only job is to like generate value for the shareholders. And like, I mean, yes, that is what a company's mm -hmm. job is, but like how they decide to generate that revenue is very important. Otherwise, literally everyone would just be a finance company right now, uh, because the best way to generate revenue is just to move money from one side of the economy to the other side. Um, and, you know, if you want to, uh, if you want some proof of that, go look up uh, GM Financial prior to uh, 2008. 
they were making more mm-hmm. money. Like GM, the, the auto manufacturer who actually right. like makes cars for people was making more money off of their uh, loans to people than they were on the cars themselves. You know, and that's the example of like how the financialization of companies can kind of ruin what they do. Uh, GE Capital, another great thing to look up if you want to. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I think as you go higher up the corporate hierarchy, you can start worrying about like, okay, like how do we decide to do that? And Nordstrom, our way of doing that is like customer delight. That's like, you know, the way. Yeah. It. And it's okay. a company mantra. And I think it's, it's a great mantra and it works really well for people at a certain seniority level. But when you're at the bottom of the corporate hierarchy, then you need to be worrying about like, okay, how do we actually like improve revenue and stuff like that? Um, and then as you go higher up, you start like worrying about, okay, like, okay, how are we, what are the indirect things that we can do to actually improve revenue, you know? Yeah. Okay. That was very insightful. Thank you for that, for going deep into that. And then, um, so our next question for you today. So as far as uh, the technical background for a data analyst, um, do you think, how important is that? And um, which tools would you say were like an absolute must know? So I think with data analysts, right, like there is, um, and, and you'll hear me talking a lot about money in this podcast, right? And the only reason I do that is because it's the, it's, it's something we can all relate to. Um, right. You know, so, you know, if you want to be like, you know, like Jamal wants to be in like marketing, um, I personally am not much of a marketing guy. I'm more into like um, uh, the, the, the really hardcore technical aspects of it, but we can all relate to making money. Um, mm-hmm. which is why I, you know, I speak about it and not only do I, am I going to continue to speak about it? I, I do it because, so I, I run my live streams, right. And people have come up to me and said, they're making $40,000 a year as a data analyst in New York city. And I'm like, you're oh, wow. getting scammed. Yeah. <laughs> that person's straight up getting scammed. Um, and I tell them wow. you, you deserve to make more. Um, mm-hmm. and I, I think, uh, again, this is something about my upbringing that really benefited me in that, like my mm-hmm. dad has been corporate his entire life. So he was able to tell me, Shashank, this job is not good. This salary is not good. Go for this. This is what you should be right. getting. Um, and I want to spread that knowledge that my dad gave me to the broader world because not everyone has that upper, or not everyone has that uh, that upbringing, that uh, background. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. that the democratization of like, I, I think a lot of like, a lot of being in the upper middle class of America is purely just that knowledge. You know, just knowing how yeah. much you get paid. I agree. Know? Financial you know? education or literacy has yeah. a big it plays a big part. Exactly. So I, I try and like spread that as well, because so much of like, um, uh, yeah, you know, small tangent over here, but something as simple as credit cards, um, mm-hmm. credit cards are like the best friend of the upper middle class because, uh, you know, I, I pay off my balance in full every single month. So I'm just generating free revenue in the form of my credit card points. But for a lot of Americans, it is a huge tr- like debt trap. Um, yes. you know, that gets them in this like cycle of like not being able to pay off stuff like time and time again. Uh, and it's because there are certain techniques that, you know, like, or one of the techniques, there's like an emotional dread associated with credit card debt that I was raised with, um, you know, a very, very strong dread that I was raised with where it's like, oh, that's like the worst thing ever. I can literally never let that happen to me. Um, so, you know, small tangent as to why, like, you know, like you bring up financial education, that being important, that's something I'm trying to spread as well. Um, mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. I completely forgot the question. <laughs> No problem. So it was uh, talking about the technical background uh, for a data analyst. Yes. Um, so it was important. And then which tools? I know we got off on a tangent about money, which is fine. But you, it's a very good point. Like that, that knowledge really kind of bridges the gap between skills and earning potential. Um, and sorry. Yeah. So, you know, uh, that was kind of my justification for why I'm going to bring up money so much because people kind of get uncomfortable when you talk about money sometimes, but I yeah. think, you know, just having an honest conversation but, and, you know, again, small tangent again, one piece <laughs> of advice is, um, early in your career, 
feel free to share your salary with uh, your friends, you know, friends you trust mm-hmm. and everything, because it was a great technique for me to like understand, okay, like, wh- am I getting paid enough for the work that I'm doing? Um, because where you start off with a start off at, well, uh, statistically have a very, very large impact on where you end up in 10 years because it sets right. your expectations for everything. Um, mm-hmm. So now going into, you know, your actual question about the technical skills and stuff, I would say that if you want to be one of the more highly paid data analysts, um, then you want to know SQL, you want to know a BI tool. So business intelligence tool that includes mm-hmm. Power BI, Tableau, um, excuse me, and Google Data Studio. Mm-hmm. Google Data Studio, I've not seen used much, much in industry. Although I expect that might change in like 10 years or so, but uh, Tableau and Power BI are uh, great things to learn. Um, if you're a student, I just learned both um, yeah. because you know your full-time job is learning. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you don't have the time for it, then I would say uh, look at the like a job board in the locality you're interested in, see which one is more popular for the companies you're interested in, and then you know mm-hmm. pick that tool. Um, the good thing is when you learn one of them, the other one's fairly easy to pick up as well. Like I don't, I've never formally learned Power BI, but I've used Tableau my entire career and Power BI is easy mm-hmm. enough for me to figure out. Um, mm-hmm. so SQL, uh, a BI tool, um, basic Excel, um, like, uh, like no pivot tables and VLOOKUPs and stuff like that. Nothing more advanced than that. I'd say, um, Excel goal seek is my, maybe something that would be a little cool to know as well, but not necessary. Okay. Um, and then eventually graduate into learning something like Python or, um, uh, R, um, mm-hmm. that will allow you to break into the six figures as a data analyst because, okay. um, now, now you know how to develop, you know how to develop code. Um, and mm-hmm. it drastically, like, it, it's not like exactly what a data analyst does all the time, but it drastically imp- like increases the latitude of work you can take on knowing how to code. Okay. Um, and and uh, to be clear, SQL is not a coding language. Um, right. It's a query language. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, that was very informative. Um, those are the four that kind of come up the most. Like SQL is kind of number one, I feel like. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, of course, basic Excel and the, a data visualization tool, such as you mentioned, Power BI or a Tableau. Which, and, uh, um, which, which SQL would you recommend? I wouldn't worry about that personally. Uh, it, it's a great question. So, for, you know, excellent question. Um, so for anyone not aware, what Jamar is basically alluding to is the fact that SQL is, I mean, SQL is a standardized language, just no one actually uses the standard version of SQL. Um, Microsoft, Oracle, yeah, basically Microsoft and Oracle, because they're the ones that came out in like the 80s, 70s and 80s with all this stuff. They basically created their own versions of SQL, and the language changes slightly depending on uh, which database you're you're based out of. Um, I would say don't worry about it. They're similar enough at the basic level to where just like learn SQL, you know, like look up SQL, mm-hmm. learn some dialect. And in a coding interview, I have specifically mentioned that like, oh, we were using Postgres SQL, uh, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, uh, I'm a T SQL guy. I know T SQL. Um, and again, any decent interviewer would be like, okay, no, that that's fair. You'll like learn the difference in syntaxes pretty quickly. It's mostly, do you know, like the operations and stuff in SQL? So great question. My answer would be, it doesn't really matter. Okay. Got it. Perfect. Okay. And then, yeah, earlier during the intro, we mentioned that you have a YouTube channel that is self-titled by your name. Uh, so that's actually fun. What, in, uh, what inspired you to become a YouTuber? Uh, a lot of kind of what I'm talking about over here, right? So mm-hmm. I felt super lucky. I graduated with with a chemistry degree that I don't use at all. Um, got into the workforce, and I ended up making a pretty, you know, I make a very like you know solid living now. Um, mm-hmm. And what happened was in uh, March of 2020, 
uh, COVID started in the U.S. You know, COVID started a couple of months earlier, but in the U.S., that's when the lockdown started. And my mom, mm-hmm. she uh, unfortunately lost her job because the company she worked for uh, was a conventions company. They like threw conventions and stuff like that. So, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, obviously COVID invalidates the entire business. There is no, there is right. zero revenue, literally zero revenue to make them. Um, and, and then and again, we're not mad at the company or anything. Like, 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 what are you going to do at that point? You know? Right. Um, and so I, I saw that, right. And I was like, you know, kind of bummed me out. And like, so I was teaching my mom how to use Tableau and everything. And I'm like, oh shoot, like Tableau is this really great uh, skill that has made my profession possible. My profession is so remote friendly. We could literally never return to the office again. And it would have zero impact on, on my profession as a data analyst. Mm. Um, like it doesn't reduce my job. It doesn't reduce my, uh, job opportunities. You know, it, it, it's such a remote friendly position. Um, mm-hmm. so I was like, okay, well, how can I like help people break into this great profession that I think a lot of people don't know about? And so I was like, okay, well, the easiest way was Tableau. That's how I learned. That's how I broke in. So I created a Tableau tutorial on, Tableau, uh, in, on uh, YouTube. It got like a hundred views or something. No one cared, but I'm like, okay, but mm-hmm. I did my, like, I, 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 I set a mission out and I did it and it's there. Mm-hmm. I don't know what else to do. Uh, then the next year I was like, you know what? I kind of want to like do a little bit more YouTube. And then I was watching Ali Abdal, great YouTuber, by the way. And he had this video where he was like, he just happened to have this video come out in like February of last year or something where he's like, oh, what do you, uh, if you want to become a YouTuber, just go do it. Just go make a video and do it. Like no one cares about the quality. Like as long as the content mm-hmm. is good, no one cares about your camera quality. No one cares about your, I mean, they care about your mic quality maybe, but he said like, you, if you have an iPhone, you have more than enough, you know, mm-hmm. or, or even like, you know, like, uh, I mean, Androids are, they're excellent today, you know? Um, right. You, you have more, more than an excellent uh, camera and a decent enough mic to start shooting videos. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well, let me, what do I want to do? And I'm like, okay, so I want to like, you know, it's, uh, I'm not, I'm not much of a Peter, fan of Peter Thiel, but he has this great quote that I do like, which is competitions for losers. Um, the basic idea behind it is that sure you can work extremely hard and try and compete with people in incredibly competitive fields, but you're better off finding a market that has relatively little competition and dominating that market. And so I was like, okay, like if I want to go into YouTube, what can I do that like has less competition than say vlogging, um, vlogging, makeup, fashion, gaming. These are things that have incredible competition. Uh, politics. I, I used to have a political channel. Actually, the, the okay. earlier iteration of this channel, that um, mm-hmm. my personal channel, uh, is a political channel. And I, I still have okay. the videos. I just unlisted them all because it's not relevant to the content I make anymore. But again, literally everyone and their mother has an, uh, has an opinion on politics. Like, how do you, you, you have to be extremely good to be unique in that field. So I'm like, okay, well, what's something I could do that like I am uniquely skilled at? And data science and analytics was what it was. I mean, you know, obviously they're you know, thousands of millions of data analysts out there, but how many of them are on YouTube? You know, only so many. Mm-hmm. Um, so I created a video, like I watched a video from Ali Abdul the night before and the next day I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to do it. And I'm like, okay, what's missing from the space? Um, and what was missing from the space was a day in the life video that actually showed real code and actual work. Um, 90% of them are, and you know, no, no real shade at the Google engineer, like Fang engineers, but 90% of them are like Fang engineers that are like, Oh, look at, look at how amazing my office is. Look at this, like, you know, coffee I have, look at this, you know, like, like this, uh, you know, very pretty office that I'm in. Um, and no one says this, but you know, that 99% of you will never get to see the inside of, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. and so funny story, I think not being in Fang actually like made my content a little bit more relatable. Uh, and I'm like, okay, well this, this was entertaining in 2017. Um, my Yuko Joma tech, my theory is that those were the people that kind of started it. And they're like, it was, it was very novel back then. Right. Um, no one right. knew what the inside of a Fang office looked like. So it was pretty cool back then. But, you know, I mean, in today's world, it's like, I mean, everyone knows that, you know, uh, these software engineers are paid insane amounts of money and mm-hmm. get free food and free everything. Um, yeah. so I'm like, okay, what's unique. And then for me, it was like, okay, well, let me like actually like code up something that I did. 
Um, it was partially that and it was partially because I had uh, imposter syndrome and I'm like, okay, well, like if I start talking about stuff, why should anyone listen to me? Well, okay, well, if I code it in front of them, no one can disagree that I have the skills, you know, like I'm, I'm yeah. sure how I do it. So it was an hour and a half long video that I just kind of threw up there. Um, I, and there are so many ums and uhs and I was so bad for that. <laughs> and like the number one comment is probably like all these people saying like, dude, your, 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 your presentation is like horrendous. At the end of the day, the video ended up getting 1.5. Wow. So mean. Um, well, I mean, they're not wrong. Like, see, I'm okay with I'm okay with that criticism, right? Like that that was a very fair criticism of my video. I said way too many ums, way too many uhs, uh, and I can get over the I can get over the colorful language. Um, what I, I I hate people that have bad criticism. Like, there are people that they're just not good good critics. Um, <laughs> and it's like it's like, it's like yeah, the ones that yeah, yeah, yeah you, your comment has added literally no value to this world, uh, either to right. me or to anyone else. Yeah. Um, but the people that said you say um and ah too much, it's annoying. I'm like, oh, this is actually, mm-hmm. no, this is something I can like actually improve on. And they are mm-hmm. right. And I was using Amina way too much. Um, yeah. So that video blew up about a month later. Got, uh, and when okay. I said blew up, I mean like it got 3000 views. Um, and that's so, good. This is the start. Well, and that's where I knew <laughs> I, I had something here. So then I started putting a tutorial after tutorial. So I have my Python tutorial, then my SQL tutorial, then a bunch of those other mm-hmm. things. Uh, I started doing live streams every single week because there was this guy, Brian June and Tina Huang, who I followed. They did this live stream every single week. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, how can I add more people, more value to people's lives? Um, and I was like, okay, well, I, I can do a live stream and start answering questions for people. Um, and my channel is all about keeping it real, you know, where, where that's why I uh, don't do the blog. I, I'm not, and it may sound like I'm like being very, very harsh, like on vloggers. Um, I'm really not trying to be. I'm just trying to say that like, if you're going to vlog, make sure you have an interesting perspective to show. Um, not, yeah. not the inside of a Google office, which everyone's already seen. Um mm-hmm. Um, you know, like why is Casey Neistat? Why why did he get as big as he did? Because his cinematography was amazing. It was excellent mm-hmm. cinematography, you know. Um, so you know, I, I try and keep it real, show people how stuff actually works, uh, and people seem to like it. Nice, awesome. Yeah, uh, I can relate. Uh, my my first YouTube video was a lot of ums and yes, and hmm. <laughs> I mean it's natural, you know. Yeah, it, it's. That's how it is when you first, you know, when you're first starting, but the more you do it, it starts to become natural and you start seeing people uh, cleave, you know, cleave to it and everything like that. So, um, but I, I really like the day in the life of a data analyst ones that you do, because when I was first deciding if this is what I wanted to do, you know, seeing that, and I always recommend people to go watch those videos to see if this is a career that you want to do, you know, um, you. because social media has a, a, a nice way of making everything seem, you know, good, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's good for you. How is it? <laughs> How is it too? Um, so many of these software engineer videos are like, you know, and like even some of the data science videos were like, they, they were talking about these jobs, like as if there was no downside to it. But, you know, I mean, I live in Seattle now, so I get to interact with a lot of these people at fame companies. The amount of passionless engineers I've met is way too high. <laughs> people that just don't care about their jobs. They're just like, yeah, I'm just here to collect the Google paycheck. You know, um, mm-hmm. I don't care about it. I, I have no passion for what I do. And uh, probably the best comments or, or one class of comments that seem insulting, but are actually amazing are people saying your, your work looks incredibly boring. I would never want to do it. And I'm like, that's an, I love that comment because um, I have helped someone realize that this is not the field for them. And, mm. you know, half of life is just figuring out what you don't want to do. You know, that's true. I, I wish I didn't. I, I wish I knew I didn't want to become a doctor like four years earlier. I would have saved myself a lot of trouble. Yeah. Degree, you know, um, the only yeah. thing with that, the way to find out is you have to do it, though. You have to keep yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to do things to find out whether or not you want to do it. Otherwise, you'll wander. So I had that same experience because I started 
pre-med as well. Mm-hmm. And I very quickly realized that was not, that maybe wasn't going to work for me. Yeah. yeah. So but I have a question to kind of piggyback off of that. When did you realize that you're passionate about uh, data analytics? Mm, I guess what I'm more passionate about is I'm passionate about like creation and being able to create stuff. Um, and I like analyzing things. So I, I think saying I'm like passionate about data science and analytics is maybe like a little bit um, uh, overboard. It might be slightly inaccurate, it might be slightly inaccurate right? Like I, I, I like I like what it, what it enables me to do. That that's probably a better description of like my feelings towards analytics and data science. Um, like you, you'll meet some people, they like genuinely love linear algebra and like DiffEQ and like looking at all the math and stuff behind advanced data science algorithms. And it's like for me, I like building the skills because it allows me to tell a story and I like telling stories. So mm-hmm. I would say I'm not particularly passionate about data science and analytics specifically. I'm passionate about what it, al- what it allows me to accomplish. Got you. All right. Well, do you see yourself continuing to grow within the data field or, or do you see yourself pivoting eventually? I think I'm open to anything, honestly. Um, so it, it's a good question, but I, I'll, I'll have to be honest with you. I really don't know. Um, I, I think at least for the next couple of years, I'm going to be, you know, moving up the chain in uh, the data field. But um, I, I think that we live in a scary but wonderful time um, in that job security is not a given anymore in the sense that, like, you know, you stay at a company for 20 years, you get, you know, steady salary bumps, uh, you know, white picket fence in the in the American suburbs, um, stuff like that. Like that's that that. Uh, that aspect of the American dream died 20, 30 years ago. Um, but the flip side of that is you don't have to do something for 20, 30, 40, 50 years anymore. Uh, you can switch careers, you know, like half, you know, in your thirties in your forties in your fifties. Like there are people on my, uh, who show up on my live streams, they're in their fifties and they want to get into analytics. Um, mm-hmm. you know, my mom was in her forties when she took up her first job in America. Um, my parents are immigrants and, uh, it was a one, uh, income household basically until maybe 10 years ago at this point, my mom's been probably been working for like 10 years. Uh, but she kind of just broke into the industry and, you know, she was like in her forties had never, uh, worked a true corporate job a day in her life. You know, it's like she, she worked briefly before getting married, um, in India, but, um, yeah. Then she broke into the industry and it's like, uh, you know, my, my dad being an immigrant, um, uh, you know, uh, as much as people like to lambast against immigrants, they're probably some of the most proud Americans I've ever, I've ever met. Cause you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm gonna leave my home country, go to some foreign yeah. country and become a citizen over there. You know, um, <laughs> you know, my dad always makes this great, uh, thing where he's like, you know, it's one of the greatest countries in the world because you can just like, you can do that. You can just switch what you do. Yes. So suddenly, so- you know? it, it, it's so, it's such a skills based and there's, way too much opportunity in this country for the number of people here. It's, it's why we get paid so much money to work in these technical fields, because there are literally not enough Americans who are either able to or willing to do this work, um, which is why, you know, you have, you, you have immigrants coming in and, you know, uh, they're, they're not taking the jobs, they're filling in the jobs because right. Americans they see the opportunity. Sometimes kind of when it's always around you, you don't see it as an opportunity versus when right. it's not there for you. And then you go somewhere different and it's, it's presented to you, you're more likely to value it a little bit more. And I, you know, I, I would, uh, there, there is that. And I would also add the important thing of uh, education in America is too expensive. Um, an Indian person can go and get an education in India, solid education, government paid everything. Um, and it's just as good as any American education and then come work here with, uh, you know, little to no debt. Um, so uh, mm-hmm. on one hand, like okay. you're 100% correct. And on the other hand, I would also say, um, you know, political soapbox over here, the country doesn't do enough to educate its own population um, the way other countries are willing to do so. The amount of money that 
uh, especially if you like study like uh, Japan, Korea, Taiwan, um, India, these Asian countries mm. are like the amount of money the government is willing to spend to educate the population um, yeah. uh, efficiently, you know, like, like the U S government actually mm-hmm. spends a ton of money educating people. Like, like the amount of money that's given away in grants and loans, Higher. Is like, it's very, very high. It's just not efficiently mm-hmm. out, you know? Yeah. I know higher yeah. education is different because the UK has free uh, higher education. A uh, very low cost, but yeah, it's essentially yeah. like my, my cousins, uh, they uh, are in the UK and I was telling them like, oh yeah, my student debt was like close to the six figures. Um, and they're like, wait, what the heck? How the hell does that happen? And I'm like, welcome to America, baby. You know, this is, uh, our solution to everything is providing a cheap loan, <laughs> you know? Yep. Um, well, I, I just got two questions here for you. I know this can vary, but based on your recommendation or things that you witnessed, how long should someone pivot the data study before they start applying for jobs? It's an excellent question. Um, and I think that you should pick a skill. Usually the BI tools what comes first. That's what I tell people to do first. And I have a specific video on my YouTube channel called data analyst roadmap, where I kind of answer this question. I highly recommend you watch like a hour long video where I like kind of go into depth about it. And I built out a physical roadmap that you can download for free. Um, and what I say is go ahead and focus on the BI tool um, and then pick up like Tableau or Power BI and start applying immediately as you start going for your next skill. Um, oftentimes the, excuse me, the longest part of the interview process or, or like of the job acquisition process is just waiting for companies to respond to you. So that's why I would say like, it needs to be simul- it needs to be asynchronous, you learning your skills and, or sorry, simultaneous, you applying and picking up your skills. But I would say pick up the Tableau skills first and then after that, go ahead and start applying while learning other skills. Interesting. Um, because I, I, I know some people say Excel first or SQL first. So why do you say a BI tool first? Um, I think a, so I, a, you know, in a bit of a hot take over here, I think knowing Excel isn't much of a skill anymore. Um, okay. It's kind of just expected. Um, now, I mean, obviously, you know, th- there are people who work in finance. And these people are like magic with Excel. That, Like, I'm not mm-hmm. talking about those people. Like, the uh, uh, so I went to Emory. Um, there, it has a really good uh, bachelor's business school. And mm-hmm. there was literally a class. I don't, I don't know if it was the entire class, but like at least for part of it, where they were taught how to use Excel without touching the mouse. Um, and, you know, like true Excel professionals can totally do that. But mm-hmm. the level of Excel you need to know to be a data analyst is not what I would call particularly skilled. Um, VLOOKUPs, HLOOKUPs, pivots, index match match, you know, that's like five things. Um, so I, I wouldn't call Excel a, um, and that's me being straightforward, you know, like if you don't know it, fine, then you, you obviously do have to go pick it up. Totally cool. And I even have an Excel tutorial on my channel, but I wouldn't call it much of a skill. And so we're of the three things we have, right? You, you listed those two things. I said BI a tool. Now we're down to two things. You can either learn SQL or Tableau first. And the problem with SQL, I think, is that it is when people see code on a screen, and I was very much like this, you know, when I started, um, it is intimidating because of, because of the way it looks. Um, so I think a BI tool provides you with the lowest access entry point into the world of data because you still learn all the data cleaning skills. You still have to do unions. You still have to do joins. You have to do aggregations. Like you pick up all these skills um, that are truly important to knowing data. And then it's just the tools that, that switch out. So I think the problem with learning SQL first is a lot of people would probably give up on data if they learned that first. Um, so that's, that's why I advocate that's for a very good take. You know? Yeah. Um, I, I would have given up on data if I had learned SQL. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I, you know, it's, uh, I should be honest about that. Like code intimidated me for the longest time. And I think yeah. the fact that I didn't learn it first was one of the reasons I'm still in the field. Yeah, nice. that's, that's 
definitely an interesting take. And it's actually the BI tools are actually fun too. Um, mm -hmm. They are fun. Exactly. And they're built to be easy to use. So yeah. And, and, and you can drive true value for a company purely based on just knowing BI tool. Right. So um, yeah, no, I, I highly recommend that. And the satisfaction that I got anyway, from my fat first dashboard, I was like, yeah. Yeah, I, I know. Yeah. Going into it, I was like, "What is happening? Like, why won't it?" It's badass, you know. It's a, they're <laughs> great tools. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 yeah. the best way to break into the world of analytics, in my opinion, is through a BI tool. Yeah. Okay, that's that's interesting. Um, it is. And with with that being said, I want to go back to the money topic. Um, uh, what are some suggestions you would say for someone pivoting into data, getting their first job? What are some negotiation? tactics that they should use being a beginner, you know, coming in with no experience. Um, they almost never. Accept oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. All right. Yeah. Almost never accept the first salary that someone gives you. Um, I would say almost always negotiate. Um, I say almost because there's probably always an exception to these rules, but I, except for my first job and I did this just because I was super desperate. Um, I've never negotiated a salary or sorry. I've uh, always negotiated a salary. My bad. Um, and the reason you do that is because, you know, it's, it's, it's the expectation in corporate America right now. Like very few times will you ever be offered um, the highest salary that they can give you because they expect you to come back and ask for more. And they know that it's better to make everyone feel like they won. Um, right. Or, you know, I mean, even better for them, you don't negotiate, they just pay you less, you know, it works out better <laughs> for them. Um, and, you know, a lot of people bemoan that that's the, that's the state of uh, affairs, right? But I, I think it's quite, you know, I mean, I think it's beneficial as long as you're willing to um, you know, stick your foot out there and be like, Hey, like I, I, I deserve more, um, you know, cause it's a competitive world and, you know, one person's loss is potentially your gain. The, the, if, if someone else isn't negotiating their salary, then like the director that is in charge of the P and L for that, uh, unit, um, now has more money to give you potentially. Um, so I would say, you know, go out there and go out there and get that bag. You know, it's, it's, uh, you're the only, you're your strongest advocate. No one else is going to advocate, mm -hmm. for you, you know, so, right. And that's just good life advice. No one else is going to advocate or you can't depend on anyone else to consistently advocate for you. You know? That's oh, true. so sorry. I, I guess let me be a little bit more specific. I, I realized I was like very like high, like, you know, high minded and everything specific advice. Someone gives you a salary. Um, you say, thank you very much. I'll take a look at this and I'll get back to you tomorrow morning. Um, go back tomorrow morning, email them, do everything over email, only do it over email, get everything in writing all the time. Never negotiate with the company, not in writing. Um, mm -hmm. I've been very lucky that no company's ever screwed me over, but I've heard horror stories. Um, and also side note, if a company tries to screw you over, leave, you know, like, well, you can't, you can't trust a company that does that, but get everything in writing. Uh, even if they call you say, um, thank you so much for the offer. I, uh, could you send that to me over email and I'll get back to you tomorrow morning. Then go back tomorrow morning and um, say they offer you $30,000, right? Um, come back immediately, ask for $55,000. If they offer you, say, $55,000, then ask for 10% more. So know what your market value is and ask for 10% more. Um, or if they if they offer you way below market value, then ask for a lot more, see what they say, you know? And one piece of advice I, or one question I get a lot is people will like come up to me and they'll say like, they, they would get very upsetting salaries, like 40K or something. Um, and I tell them, okay, if you think you can apply, you can do nine to five at this company. And then from five to nine, you apply to other companies, take the job, you'll get the experience. You can put it on your resume. Um, and you know, like who cares about the salary for now, but do your everything in your power to leave. And I think this is something that I think, uh, here's a great piece of advice that I found that uh, it, it's kind of just natural when you grow up in a certain 
uh, social class in America, um, you need to like, like don't have loyalty to a company, you know, like your job, like it, I, I, that, that's not to say like, you know, be like so vociferously about yourself that you only focus on yourself. I think that's a very dangerous path to go down as well. Right. But in the sense that like, I have met people that are like, oh, I'd feel bad if I left in less than a year. And I said, I would agree with you if you were making $70,000 a year, but this company is paying you 14 an hour. So no, don't, no, you don't feel that's all me, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's kind of what, uh, that's kind of my attitude towards it. Like, you don't like be like, be your biggest advocate. Obviously don't be so selfish that no one wants to work with you because people can see that, but mm-hmm. be confident in yourself, advocate for yourself, you know, know how much your market worth is. Uh, demand that market worth, or you know, if a company is not willing to offer, and you don't have any other offers. Take that job, but actively look for something else, and don't feel bad about leaving in less than a year. If you get a better offer the next week, leave. You know, um, yeah, you have no obligation to stay at a place where they don't pay you what you deserve to be paid. And if if you're not gonna, the only person that loses in that situation is you. In in the situation where you take an underpaid job, everyone wins but, but you. Um, and I, I, I don't want to see, to see that happen to people. I agree. That's a good point. It seems like I think some I think that really will help somebody that's listening that may be on the fence or may have that same thought and not because they want to, because they just don't know any different, you know? Yeah. Um, going back to that culture that you described as far as pay in the beginning. And, and it's something my dad talked like, you know, never feel bad about leaving. You know, it's it, yeah. it, you you have no obligation to stay at a company. Um, that being said, like most people, I do hope, you know, I do wish to like be in a company at some point where I'm like, okay, I want to be here for like, you know. Yeah. Um, but it's a two way street, right? I would also demand respect from the company in the form of like, you know, fair compensation. Mm-hmm. That's very helpful. And then, so um, what does your personal day to day look like as far as skills and tools that you use personally in your current position? Uh, excellent question. So I have a video called day in the life of a day or I recorded myself for eight hours. So like, look up like oh, eight wow. hours on my YouTube channel. I, I literally put a camera in that corner of my apartment for anyone that, I don't know if this, there's going to be a video version of this podcast, but I'm pointing to a corner of my apartment. Uh, I put a camera yeah. over there and I recorded myself for eight hours. Uh, and then what happens is I come in afterwards and I comment on the, like over the recording. Mm-hmm. There is not another video on YouTube that does that as far as I'm aware for data analysts where you literally see, oh, I can, and what happens is I took my iPad and I had a clock on it. And the clock is like there. So you can see every okay. single minute of every single hour what I am doing. Um, basically, I think um, it was a time lapse where I think every, I think every 30 seconds or something, uh, it, it like took a shot. And I'm going to see if I can do a better version of that video coming soon. Um, mm-hmm. So go watch that video because you will literally okay. not get a better video than that for, you know, if you want to know exactly what someone does in, in, in eight hours um, working that. But to answer your question for the, for the podcast audience out there, um, I get up in the morning, uh, grab my coffee as everyone does. Um, <laughs> and then I do yoga. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I, 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 I like, and then I, 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 I practice mindfulness and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, like, no, 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 I don't. Uh, if, if people do that, like, you know, power to them, I, I like get up barely able to like make it to my desk. Uh, <laughs> if I have a nine o'clock meeting, I'll show up at nine Oh five. Um, and <laughs> I, you know, get my coffee, go to my desk, check my emails, check my Slack messages, make sure. Cause a lot of people start work at eight. Um, mm-hmm. I just can't bring myself to do it, honestly, especially in Seattle when the sun's not even out, you know, um, if oh, the sun was out, whatever, I could probably get up then. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, read my emails, read my Slack messages, see if anything needs to be dealt with at that moment. I have a list of topic. I have a list of um, things that I wrote the previous day that I need to do today. And I think that's okay. a, an underrated tactic that I think everyone should do no matter what your profession is. Um yes. 
And so I do that, like any, any anything that like people might ask for that needs to be done at like that moment. Um, and if that can involve like pulling uh, data from people, d- data for people using SQL databases, that's usually what it is. And then putting it into, into an Excel document that I can then share out to people or, um, Usually if they need like a more complex analysis, then I won't just do it at that moment. Cause I'll, you know, that, that takes more time, honestly. Um, but I will carry on with my tasks. And then I'd say the major projects I'm working on right now, it's like, you know, a lot of ad hoc analyses. So, you know, how much did we sell last year? How much did we sell this year? What's the, diff- the difference between the two? Nordstrom is a very services-based company. So how do our services compare? Mm-hmm. Um, can we tie services to the number of people who like bought items? Do people who use Nordstrom services tend to buy more items? Cause a lot of our services are free. Um, so stuff like that, you know, like a lot of like a lot of it's tying together these things that aren't directly tied together, like services and revenue and stuff like that. Um, okay. Then I'm also busy building out a machine learning platform for the uh, company. I'm leading a small team that's like building out an auto EDH tool, EDA standing for exploratory data analysis. It's usually the first major step in building any machine learning models. Um, you explore okay. the data and you see, okay, like, you know, what can we get out of this? And that process, I'll be doing a lot of documenting right now. So I'm on uh, Notion a ton. I'm on Confluence mm-hmm. a ton. I'm on uh, draw.io building out like wireframes and stuff of like what we're going to be building out. And uh, sometimes I'll be doing some coding in order to actually like, you know, get stuff together. Um, like most people, the more senior you get, the less coding you end up doing, um, which is both a good and a bad thing, in my opinion. Because um, <laughs> I mean, it's fun. I like coding. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'd say, and then I always make sure to like, you know, at the end of the day, write down what did I do today? What am I going to do tomorrow? It makes it to where, you know, I'm not getting up in the morning, like halfway to days, having no idea what I'm supposed to do that day. Right. Yeah. yeah. With, with your technical background and skills in data, have you ever thought about, or do you already do like freelancing or consulting? Yeah, I do freelancing on the side. I'm thinking about quitting it, honestly, though. Um, so oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause I mean, I have my uh, regular day job. I do freelancing and I do YouTube uh, between those three things. I don't have a social life. So, you know, and it's a, <laughs> And I don't really see the point either. Like it's, I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to where I get paid um, a very solid salary at Nordstrom. Bonuses are really mm-hmm. good because it's retail. Um, and YouTube, I'm lucky enough. I'm like super blessed that people, you know, want to listen to me ramble all day. Uh, <laughs> is profitable now. It's uh, like even including my time, right? Like there's a mm-hmm. there's a certain rate I value my time at, um, like X dollars per hour. And YouTube. Right. Um, is profitable even on that front. Because a lot of projects, um, and it, it's one of the problems that like some high-paid professionals have, is a side project you do might be might be profitable if you just include the materials and stuff like that, but not profitable mm-hmm. once you start including the amount of time you put into it. And this year, YouTube started to become actually profitable because of like, uh, at, at the end of the day, because of the subscribers. They're, they're, they're the other ones that make mm-hmm. it all possible. It's, like, it's entirely thanks to them that I you know can even do that. So I'm thinking about dropping the consulting, moving straight into like just doing YouTube in my day job. Um, but yeah, freelancing is super easy once you build out the BI skills. And like, if you know Python or R, um, you can freelance for a lot of money. It's uh, like, you know, you, you charge over $50 an hour easy and, um, you know, work for three hours. You pay for an entire weekend's worth of uh, partying and bottle service if you really want to, you know? <laughs> <laughs> if, I mean, if, if that's what you want to do, you know? Like, uh, yeah. I, I pay for my uh, drinking habits with um, with my consulting money. So Okay. <laughs> that's what's up. So I, I want to ask you, and for first, I want to definitely, you know, show our appreciation to everything that you bring to the data and tech community. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, a very valuable content. So I'm, I'm curious to know because you know a lot of people consider me a tech influencer or, or whatever the case may be, but you are definitely way beyond me. I want to know <laughs> how to find my Discord. 
and what what made well how did you find it you know like what what made you join it things like that i'm, I'm curious i think kadisha told me about it um they reached sure. out to me told me about it and then i like joined it's super cool i, I love the community you built that it's excellent um and you know managing a discord is like not easy like i have a discord too but it's like for my patreons because like I, I I just can't like you know managing it is it's it's so hard. Um, so like yeah. massive props to you for being able to do that. Actually, I'm looking at it right now. Um, but no, it's it's excellent. I recommend anyone that's into the field go ahead and check it out. It's uh, really really well done. Yeah, it's definitely not easy to manage. It took forever. Oh, to- but that's your uh, that's your competitive edge, right? And I, I would say the good thing is if you have a Discord community, like like here's here's the thing. There is a, a good part and a bad part to this, right? The bad part is that it's private, as in like the existence of it is not actively being pushed out by an algorithm. So say you make YouTube news, right? Like YouTube is actively pushing that out by an algorithm. And so sponsors will come to you and because they like, it it shows up their, your video shows up on their feed. Right. Um, But I would say like a discord channel, you have a great distribution list. Basically it's the same thing as an email distribution list. It's the exact same thing. uh, Just more interactive. Um, You know, I mean, I, I think that if you go ahead and look for sponsors, you can totally find some to help you out with the channel. I mean, with the discord and like sponsor its continued existence. Yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, Like people are always looking for people to like push out the word of their products. So, you know. Yeah. uh, Yeah. I've had, I've had a few come to me. Um, That's awesome. uh, Are are you familiar with uh, Springboard? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Those guys are cool. Yeah. So we we recently partnered up with them um, to push out. There you go. I mean, you're, you're, you're way ahead of the, you're way ahead of the ball. You know exactly what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, somewhat. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, definitely, like I said, I appreciate um, everything that, that you do for the community as well. Um, I'm glad to have you in there and glad. And uh, thank you for, you know, just being helpful in there, like, you know, to, to know that. Because when we, when we first started it, it was, you know, just a bunch of beginners helping beginners. And, you know, mm-hmm. Slowly but surely, experts started creeping through. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's definitely um, awesome to have you in there. Um, we're just going to get into a quick part of our show where we just highlight um, a tech titan uh, within the uh, community as well. Um, so uh, for this show's tech titan, we have Thames and Sham of Tech UK. Uh, Tech UK is a tech company that connects hiring managers and candidates. They also offer mentoring and coaching services. They host Twitter spaces pretty much every week. Um, If you follow them, uh, sometimes they have a lot of job opportunities that come up in these Twitter spaces. They have a master class that teach you how to break into tech. Um, They go over negotiating, resumes. Um, I I believe they have mock-up interviews as well. So um, definitely want to give a shout out to Tech UK, Tenzin Sham. Uh, go ahead and follow them. Thank and you guys. once again, want to give a shout out to our special guest. Uh, and you are on yes. Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, yeah. TikTok, YouTube. TikTok. So, yeah, dude, TikTok. Oh, I gotta, I'm going to follow you on TikTok. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Which, which one would you say is your, I mean, besides YouTube, which, which one would you say is your next uh, favorite social media? Oh, TikTok for sure. Oh, 100%. It, it actually, it really sucks that the Indian government banned TikTok um, because a, a large portion of my audience is Indian uh, and they just straight up can't access it because, and I feel so bad wow. that there's so much great information on TikTok and it's like- It is. Yeah. It's like video version of Google, honestly. Exactly. Yeah, no, TikTok is, no, people are missing out over there. And as far as I'm aware, there's no local competitor for TikTok over there because Instagram, kept, like Instagram very like half-heartedly built in the space. Um, 
like Instagram's cool and all that their algorithm is just no good compared to TikToks in my opinion, like Instagram reels. Um, like people say it's the same thing, but no, the algorithm on TikTok is superior. Yeah. Yeah. I think Instagram is trying to catch up to it, but TikTok well, is definitely. And here's the problem, at least in my opinion, with like Facebook's properties uh, or like managed properties now is that like they have this algorithm, right? And what it does is it, it'll find whatever you like and then just yeah. bombard you with that stuff nonstop. So like I, there was like one, there, there was one photo I looked at of like, so I'm a car guy, right? Um, mm-hmm. So like, I was like looking through cars and there was like this carousel of things, right? And one of them had this like, uh, 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 this girl leaning over the car with like, you know, uh, let's just, let's just say she was a good looking girl, like leaning over the car. Literally my entire Instagram discover page just filled with women now. And I'm like, <laughs> I, I, and I'm, yeah. I'm so, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the algorithm's crazy. It's, it's, yeah. it's such a bad algorithm. And I'm like, no, <laughs> I, I like cared about the car. Um, yeah. TikTok, on the other hand, is it's it's really yeah. cool. Like the Wall Street Journal did this experiment where they um, kind of like uh, created a bunch of different accounts on TikTok, and they're like, okay, like we're trying to figure out how the algorithm works. And uh, their experiment showed that what TikTok does is it'll insert a new piece of content unrelated to what you like every once in a while, just to see yeah. if you click on it, just exactly. to see if they can the, exactly. if they can modify the existing. Mm-hmm. And I found that TikTok. I'm not saying it doesn't lead you down rap or it doesn't lead you down to like this like corner of the internet. I'm saying that like it can make you a much like broader person. Like there's stuff that I'm finding out about that I like didn't even know I had any interest in, you know? Like yeah. it's, it's not purely data science stuff anymore. My TikTok is like very um like broad, I'd say. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, yeah, no, I mean that's just like my humorous story of like <laughs> one reason I'm not very happy with Instagram personally. Um <laughs> you, you you look at one TikTok. picture or something and then like it, it fills up your entire feed after that, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Well, we're glad to have you on the show. We got to learn a lot about you and all the advice and tips that you have for us in the data world, tech world, and even life world. <laughs> um, so yeah. uh, I'm going to make sure that we go ahead and put all of your links in the description so people can find you on whichever platform suits them best. Um, also, we want to shout out to all of our listeners on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Google Podcasts, all the members in the Discord that is growing by the week. We are almost at 4,000 followers and our YouTube is almost at 1,000 subscribers. So we are climbing up pretty quick. Nice. nice. Yeah, get in there. So um, definitely uh, appreciate everyone that's tuning into All About Data Podcast. Appreciate you, Sarshank, for coming on. And Thanks so much. Thank podcast. Um, all right. So we're going to go ahead and close it out. Thank you for everyone tuning in All About Data Podcast. You guys enjoy the rest of your day. Tune in until the next episode. Thank you.